TTG. Luck is where hard work meets opportunity. This series has everything to do with sales, marketing, real estate, digital media, specializing in the real estate space. Join us to hear from some of the top leaders in the industry and what makes them successful. In the title space, there is only one choice, TeamTitleGuy.com. Apartment of Friday morning. Uh, we are here with our MC. I believe his name is... Good morning, Kevin Cisneros. Kevin, what is the West End Real Estate Professionals? We are a group of real estate professionals that meet every Friday morning uh, for networking and real estate education. We also showcase listings. We're also a nonprofit that raises money for local charities. All right. So if they want more information, Kevin, about the group, where do they go? We rep.org. We rep the acronym for West End Real Estate Professionals. You'll find all the information there. All right. So today, this morning... Our topic, I believe, is money laundering and real estate fraud. Sounds kind of uh, interesting. Our lead speaker here today, our, our only speaker in regards to this, actually, is Jennifer Felton, attorney at law. Jennifer, will you introduce yourself for the audience? Good morning. Jennifer Felton. She's a woman of many words, we can see here. Um, Jennifer, you've been practicing law for like maybe six months, or what, what, do, you got, you know, what do you got in your repertoire? So I've been in the real estate industry for 25 years. I actually started as an escrow officer, and I practiced in escrow and title for 15 years, and then I went back to law school and became an attorney. So now for the last 11 years, I've been focusing on the legal side of real estate. Very cool. All right, so today we're going to be really breaking it down, so we hope you enjoy the podcast today. Jennifer, if somebody wanted to reach out to you in the future, is there a phone number, a website, or an email that they can contact you at? Yes, so our website is www.relawapc.com, and our phone number is 805-265-1031. All right, so we will also have that in the notes of the podcast, so please feel free to look down below, and we hope you enjoy today's event. We have her here with us, and uh, she has been coming out to speak to the West End Real Estate Professionals for years, and uh, as she was sharing with us a little while ago, she is a past escrow officer who decided to uh, obtain her uh, attorney's license and now owns her own legal firm, so we're very happy to have her here today as she specializes uh, in real estate law. Please jump in a warm welcome, real estate attorney Jennifer Felton. Good Jennifer. Good morning. Good morning. So I've been here a bunch of times. I'm so glad to see such a big group. Um, this is a great group. I like coming out here. And I think it's scary today, so just be prepared, right? We're talking about fraud, and I'm afraid there's a lot of fraud going on in our industry. I would say more than I've ever seen from, I've been in this industry 25 years. So um, the amount of fraud and the number of different schemes and things that we're seeing are beyond anything I've seen in my 25 years of experience. My example is when I was an escrow officer, if I had a file and I made a mistake, maybe I paid the home warranty wrong and I had a $50 shortage, like I don't want to go to my neighbors and be like, I need $50 bucks and I paid the home warranty and I was worried about it. The wire frauds we're seeing, the average wire fraud is $148,000. Right? So you were going to go to your manager and say, oh yeah, I lost $148,000, not 50 bucks, right? That's what we're seeing right now. That is the issue we have in our so we're going to be talking about that and ways to avoid that. And the government's interference or action in our industry and how that's going to affect us. So that's um, FinCEN, right? Yep. So uh, bad guys like to put money 
let it sit there, season for a little while, and then when they sell it, that money comes out and it doesn't look like it's dirty, right? And so this is not a new thing, right? Money laundering through property is nothing new. Um, but the government has decided to try and uh, use that information and information on those real estate transactions to ferret out those situations. So for a couple of years now, we have been under what's called a geographic targeting order in a large part of California. And what that geographic targeting order does is it says, hey, you title company, you are required to report certain information about certain real estate transactions to the federal government. Right? And we've been doing this for a couple of years. And we knew what the criteria was. It was very clear and uh, we wanted a million dollar transaction, right? You had all these criteria. Well, in May of this year, the government decided that they were no longer going to publish the criteria as it relates to the geographic targeting order. And the reason was, people like me would say, okay, there were five counties under the geographic targeting order that were covered. And I, my joke when I talked about this was, well, if you're a bad guy, just don't go buy in LA County. I'm sure there's a lot of nice properties in, you know, Riverside or San Bernardino County, right? It's not that big of a deal. And so the bad guys were avoiding the counties that were covered. So they now no longer are publishing which counties are covered. Um, and they're no longer publishing what transactions they're actually reporting on. And what's happened, the title companies are under this order. And it's a secret order. They're not allowed to talk about the criteria. They can get fined if they tell people what the criteria are as it relates to this. And the result is that in order to try and keep it a secret, in many cases, the title companies are collecting information on transactions, whether they're covered by the geographic targeting order or not. And the thought process behind it is if we only collect in the areas where there's actually a geographic targeting order, it won't take very long for people to figure out what areas are covered. And so they're asking for information on a large number of transactions, whether they're covered or not. Um, I will say it, it's something that will be in your preliminary report in most transactions. When you see that in your prelim, you need to get that buyer working on that up front. I'm seeing tons of transactions get delayed at closing because the buyers haven't completed the information, and title companies will not report if they don't have that information because they can get fined significantly by the government if they don't report on a transaction. So Brian's shaking these <laughs> This is a really, really an issue. So I'm having transactions delayed because at closing all of a sudden it's an issue. We just had one, um, it was a trust, and they wanted a whole bunch of information about this trust. And the, the uh, holders, the trustees, did not want to release that information because the actual beneficiaries have to give information. They did not want to go to the beneficiaries because they can cut some people out of the trust. And they didn't want those people to know they were cut out of the trust. So they didn't want to, to, they didn't want to get data from half the family because if you didn't ask it from the other family, then they know they're cut out of the trust, right? So, um, it, and that canceled, that transaction they refuse to report the information. So these are big deals. Um, we are seeing transactions fall out and we're seeing significant delays sometimes in uh, the collection of this data. So if you see it, if ESCO or Title is asking you for this information, it needs to get to those buyers, they need to complete that information. It's pretty invasive, by the way. Um, it, it is, it's not fun to fill these things out. They ask for a lot of um, very personal information about the underlying consumers on transactions where we have a trust or an entity, things like that. So the reason they're doing that is because that's how these people buy. They don't, if you're, if you're a somewhat smart group, you're not gonna buy a property in your own name, right? 
you're going to put it in some sort of venting and at least somewhat try to hide yourself. So that's a sample of the form. It's actually four pages, but that's what it looks like. It's a pretty significant amount of information. And I will tell you, the government is um, not, I think it's highly likely that this is going to go away because um, they've had several high-profile prosecutions as a result of the data that they've collected from the FinCEN reporting. So I think this is going to continue. So just be prepared to manage this. If you know your buyer's entity um, or not a, a natural person, it's something you need to be thinking about from the beginning of your transaction. And again, when we're talking about money laundering, cannabis loves to come up in that topic. Okay, so um, unfortunately, cannabis and you know, kind of the quasi-legalization of cannabis is causing all kinds of issues with us from a real estate standpoint. So um, it has been legalized by the state, but it's still illegal federally. So it's not illegal for an escrow company to escrow a cannabis transaction, nor is it illegal for a title company to insure a cannabis transaction. However, there's risk, right? And so those companies have concerns about risk, and so are making business decisions about whether they'll insure a transaction, um, whether they can handle a transaction. And because it is still illegal federally, the federal government is enforcing as it relates to cannabis on the banking side, right? So escrow companies have to bank in a federally insured bank. Federally insured banks have to report money laundering, and cannabis is still money laundering under federal law. So most escrow companies and title companies will not um, uh, handle, no one can handle a cannabis transaction because they can't get the money in the bank, right? And they're legally required to do that. So when it, they, it does happen where they knowingly do it, most banks that I've talked to, the escrow banks have said they will stop banking that escrow client if they find out they knowingly put cannabis money into their bank. Because the bank actually has liability for money laundering, not just the escrow client. The individual banker can actually go to jail for knowingly money laundering money. So there's a huge risk on that side. So um, it's a real issue. So from a title and escrow standpoint, our position right now is don't ask, don't tell, right? If you have a transaction where cannabis is somewhere involved, don't tell us. Don't tell us we're entitled about it because then we're going to have to deal with it and likely not be able to handle the transaction. Um, it, again, it's not illegal, but it's not for, we're not allowed to make it at this point. There is currently a bill pending in Congress that if it passed, would allow federally insured banks to bank cannabis money in states that have legalized cannabis. So it's called the Safe Banking Act. And think about this. Uh, why do we legalize cannabis? Not just because we all want to get high, right? We want to tax it, right? So if it's all being done in cash and we're not putting the money in the bank, it's not being taxed, right? So of course the government wants to bank it. They want to tax it. Um, so there is this bill. 58 different uh, House members have sponsored the bill. Uh, my local house member sponsored the bill. It's one of the 58 co-sponsors. The problem is, again, if you're paying any attention to Washington, nothing's actually happening in Washington, and so nothing's being passed. If they actually could get their heads together and pass this, it would solve this problem and make these transactions. So understand, cannabis is expected to be a $7 billion a year industry. $7 billion. There are going to be real estate transactions related to cannabis, but they're in this kind of quasi-state right now, so they're causing us a lot of challenges at every level, getting insurance, not just title insurance, but regular like fire insurance, liability insurance is a problem. Um, at this point, no indented carrier will knowingly insure a cannabis transaction. There's, I think, three non-indented carriers that will currently insure them. 
right? So these are all kinds of different layers and layers of challenges that these transactions are bringing us because of the, you know, kind of mix of laws on this area. So that's why I talked about the same banking app. So that's the money laundering issue that we're dealing with right now. Money laundering flows into Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, right? So a lot of transactions that relate to um, illegal activities, not, not, not only illegal, but many illegal and illicit activities or quasi-illegal activities are being done through Bitcoin, right? So that is a challenge. How many of you have seen ads for companies saying, you know, uh, I will, I will, we can escrow your property with Bitcoin, right? Buyers can buy Bitcoin, crypto, right? Cryptocurrency. Well, Bitcoin is a version of cryptocurrency, right? So we use that kind of like uh, FedEx, or right? Like a generalized term for shipping. Right, um, it's a general term. Bitcoin is just one version of over 130 different cryptocurrencies. Right, so that's just one of them. It is kind of a generalized term. Um, but that is an issue because again, I just talked about escrow companies have to be in a federally insured bank. I can't put Bitcoin in a federally insured bank. Right, so um, we're dealing with a transaction where the buyer has money in Bitcoin and they intend to use that towards the purchase price of the property. We have issues. Right? So either the Bitcoin needs to be converted to U.S. dollars so that we can make it and have it go through our escrow, um, which has challenges. So selling Bitcoin is like selling a stock. You have to pay capital gains on it, right? So think about the capital gains on that Bitcoin if you've now converted it. If you don't sell it and you transfer it, well, we can't escrow that. So the buyer can transfer their, you know, 50 Bitcoin to the seller through their Bitcoin accounts, but then the money's not even going through escrow. We hate doing escrows without money going through escrow, by the way. It scares us. Um, we think that there's bad things going on. And often there is. <laughs> Money's not going through escrow. But legally, that would be a way to do it. They still have to come in with cash for closing costs, payoffs, things like that. But that could be done. One of the challenges with that is how do we price the thing, right? When do we, when do we sell the Bitcoin or when do we value the Bitcoin? That cur those currencies change significantly in value. So what you're buying and what you're selling, depending upon that day, very significantly different. How do we do the 1099, right? Escrow has a 1099. What number do we put on the 1099? Bitcoin it doesn't work like that, right? So it has to be given some sort of dollar value and all kinds of other implications start to happen with this. So it's an issue for us from a banking and escrow standpoint, um, title companies. Um, if there are converting Bitcoin, a lot of banks don't want to take that money because they can't see, they can't they can't verify where it came from, so they're worried about money laundering, even accepting a big uh, lump sum from a Bitcoin conversion. Also, it costs money to, to convert your Bitcoin. The big company that does this called BitPay, they charge a point to convert your Bitcoin to cash, right? So that's a lot of money just in and of itself. So you have a question? Yeah, so there's lots of challenges with this. Um, the fact that it's like funny money, <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, I, my humble opinion, I think it will eventually crash. Um, I think it's a Ponzi scheme that will ultimately fail. Um, but that's what we're dealing with right now. And there are people making money. Every Ponzi scheme, somebody makes money. But a lot more people lose money, right? And that's what I think will ultimately happen. But it's a real issue and a real challenge because it is something that we're having to deal with in the real estate industry right now. So. Bitcoin flows into blockchain, right? So you guys have heard of blockchain? Kind of understand what that concept is? So blockchain is the next level of um, digital security, okay? 
blockchain, and Bitcoin is all stored on blockchain, all right? So to give you a sense of how this is managed. Blockchain, the concept of blockchain is creating an environment where a, a document or a security, whatever it is that you're um, valuing, right? So a contract. Um, we have a contract and we want that final contract. We want to make sure that we can store and maintain a valid version of that contract and that it can't be modified or um, forged or changed, right? So what happens is you finalize the document, you store that document on blockchain, you save it onto the net. It is then stored in multiple places on the internet besides where you stored it on the blockchain, all right? Then when, it, when someone comes to use it and verify that it's a valid document, that version is compared against all those other versions on the internet so that if there has been some sort of manipulation, you will find out and you'll see that it's been modified. So it's about security. And because the internet is such an unsecure place, <laughs> this is the, in theory, the antidote for that, right? So um, there's a fear that blockchain will have a huge impact on actually title insurance, right? Because if you can guarantee that the documents are real, why do you need insurance? Right? What do you need to ensure a transaction? Right? So um, the first uh, blockchain transaction on real estate happened in Vermont earlier this year. So the loan documents were signed electronically on the blockchain, and they were recorded then electronically on blockchain. We had one in Kern County, um, California last month. So California recorded its first blockchain real estate transaction. Technology is going to drive where we are and what we're doing. We're seeing in the real estate industry, you see it with the industry disruptors that are coming in and changing the way real estate is being sold. You see it with young people and how they, their buying decisions, their style. So I have a 25 year old who was looking to buy a property and I refer her to a mortgage broker and she said, what do I need a mortgage broker for? I can go on Rocket Mortgage or get a mortgage in five minutes, right? Like that is the mentality of a 25 year old. They don't want to talk to someone. <laughs> You know, so our industry, every level of industry is changing, and this is one of those areas, is security and document retention, money handling. So these are some of the things that we as an industry are going to start to see and have to deal with. Um, uh, the advent of the internet and the ability to uh, have things so readily available also makes us all very vulnerable, right? So we're seeing huge issues with identity theft. Um, things that would have never happened 10, 20 years ago because people wouldn't have had access to the information and data that they have, right? Our banks, our government, everybody loses our data all the time, right? So our data is getting lost and exposed, but we also voluntarily put it out there on Facebook and everything else, right? So, you know, there, we are, as a society, becoming less and less individualized and more open and available, um, and that means the bad guys are out there and have a better chance of getting to us. Right. So we're seeing tons of identity theft issues that, again, from a real estate perspective, if you're a bad guy and you're looking to try and uh, you know, handle, get some money through a transaction, well, people wire money through real estate transactions right, all the time. How often do you send a wire except for on a real estate transaction? The average person is rarely, if ever, wiring money except related to real estate. So if you're a bad guy and you want to catch wires, where are you going? going to real estate, right? So we are exposed because of what we do. The amount of money that travels through our transactions. When I was an escrow officer, I wrote checks for millions of dollars every day, right? I mean, that's the kind of money that goes through our accounts and that we're dealing with. So if I'm a bad guy, that's where I'm going, right? And that's what's happening. So this is a case. This is a realtor who, she was in Florida. She passed away 
right? And they were sending uh, emails to other realtors trying to put deals together using her information and name. And then what happened was one of the realtors who got it um, thought it was weird, like it seemed like it didn't make sense, and so they Googled her and found out she was dead, right? So they're going after us like we're dead, right? Bad guys are out there stealing our identities, taking our information, and using it to their benefit. So this is a letter I got from my credit card company because a bad guy stole my credit card and bought health insurance with it. What kind of idiot buys health insurance with a stolen credit card? Right? Think about how much information you have to put in to get health insurance, and you're going to use a stolen credit card? Uh, it, the, the reality is, though, no one's going to prosecute him. Right? No one's going to go after him. back to my credit card. Right? Um, but no one's going to go after him. And if I wasn't paying attention, who knows how many times that would have been charged on my car before I was like, oh, wait a second, that's not me. Right? And that's what happens. These bad guys will. And the, the reality is, he's going to steal someone else's credit card and do it again. Right? I mean, that's the reality of what we're dealing with and what we're seeing going on. Um, and the result is, you know, the wire fraud that we're seeing. So, as a realtor, I really highly recommend that you be very vocal with your buyers about the risk of wire fraud. Okay, so when this first started happening, what was happening is they were going after escrow, right? They were sending us emails pretending to be our sellers on our transactions and convincing us to wire the seller's money to the wrong place. And way too many of us fell for it, right? When a lot of money was lost. Um, escrow is, and title and our industry has lost too much money and we put really good procedures in place. So it rarely happens now. It's not perfect. People still make mistakes. And these are human error, right? So these are not people hacking into our system and stealing money. They are convincing us as humans to send the money to the wrong place. This is human error. It's not computer hacking, right? It's manipulation of people's information and data in a way that we voluntarily send stuff to the wrong place, which means it's not insured, by the way. So the chances of getting recovery of this when it's gone is very low, all right? So that's what was happening, and escrow companies and title companies were eating it hard. Um, that's not happening as much anymore, right? Put some good systems in place in most cases. Now they're targeting your buyers, right? And they're telling your buyers to send the money to the wrong place. And every week I have a buyer lose money. Every week on one of my clients, a buyer loses money. I have buyers living in apartments because if they lose their deposit, they don't have another one, right? They don't have another hundred or $200,000 to put in to buy that property. So they lose the home. The escrow falls out. The buyer's living in an apartment with their two dogs and a kid, and, you know, and their money's gone or sitting in some bank and they can't get it back out, right? So these are real people, real losses. Everybody gets sued, right? So you guys, if you're part of it, you get sued. I've had many realtors who were part of the scheme or the scam because it's all fake emails. They pretend to be you. They pretend to be us. They pretend to be the consumers. And we all get duped into sending money or receiving money and all kinds of different just horrible things. So it's something you have to scare your buyers enough that they don't just send money. I would say some of the fraud emails that I've seen after it's happened, there were so many indicators on the document that it was a fraud. Right? So things like um, they, the money was going to the name of the escrow company. It was like Bob's Toe Shop, right? Like, and they sent the money to Bob's Toe Shop. Like, really? Right? So make sure they know only send the money to the title of an escrow company. And the one they're actually dealing with, a pilot sent it to the wrong title escrow company because it, 
California, whether you're a title company or an escrow company, almost all of my wire fraud is money in out of state, so they sent it to a bank in another state. So make sure your buyers know if it's out of state, it's a fraud. Right? It's not going to be your transaction. Make sure they know to pick up the phone and call escrow before they wire that money. And don't call the number on the wire. Like the fake wire. Because I can verify with the bad guy. Right? That's not our plan. Right? So make sure you get them the right information for the title and escrow company and then they know to call before they send that money. Um, also, I have where they wired the initial deposit to the right place, but then they wired the final funds somewhere else. Let them know we're not going to change banks in the middle of the transaction. It's very unlikely. So if, if it's a different bank and they send the money the first time, it's probably a fraud. Right? So those are really basic, simple things that they can think about to, before they do this. Because it, once the money's gone, it's gone. And in most cases, with, with escrow, when we were sending the money to the wrong place, the seller was looking for it, right? So we often found out pretty quickly that the money went to the wrong place because the seller didn't get the money. And so if we can catch this within 24 hours, we have a significantly higher chance of getting that money back. Escrow doesn't know in these cases that the buyer's sending the money because we didn't actually ask for it. So the buyer sends it, and we don't know. We're not looking for it. So there's no one checking to see if it arrived. We find out a week later that they send the money to the wrong place. They come in to sign loan documents, and we say, oh, here's the wiring instructions. They say, oh, I wired it last week when you told me to. We're like, no, no, we didn't ask you last week. So um, all kinds of different things like that. And yes, if it's in a week, we're, that money's gone. There is zero chance we're getting any of that back. Uh, and when it was us as sourcing the money, we had at least some level of liability in a lot of those cases. So a lot of times we covered at least some of that loss. When the buyer sends the wrong money to the wrong place and we didn't tell them to, we have very, very little liability. So the chances are that buyers aren't getting anything back. Okay, so, and you the realtor are the ones who need to talk to them and deal with this nasty. This is no fun, trust me. So um, the more you can uh, give them the wire fraud advisory, um, uh, I know it's in your forms, but don't just gloss through it. Actually talk to them about it when you're going through and they're signing the documents. And pay attention to the emails you get. This is the email I got from uh, Bernie Madoff, right? Because, of course, he has nothing better to do than send me an email um, uh, in, from jail. And, and, of course, he's telling me that he's got a bunch of money for me because, you know, he stole all this money. He's still got it in. And if I have a monitor, we're good to go, right? That's the kind of crap that's out there. Right? And people fall for this stuff. And they'll click on links for this kind of stuff. So I'm a licensed broker. So I'm a member of CAR. I'm a member of my local association. So I get a ton of spam emails from bad guys because they've gotten the database for you know, either my local region or CAR. And they're like, oh, here's an offer for you. Click on here to open the offer. Well, I know it's fake because I ain't listed any properties. Right? But if I were a realtor and someone sends me an email with an offer, I'm opening that damn email, right? I want that offer. And so that's what happens. You guys click on this boot spam stuff, and then the bad guys are in your system. So I, I say realtors have cooties when it comes to this because you guys are almost always, in almost all of my cases, the realtor was the intrusion point for the bad guy. Right? So you guys are probably buying, but then they get in with all of us. Yes? Yeah. Are there some subject lines that we should avoid as realtors? One of the things that I would pay attention to is look at what the email address is and where it's coming from, right? So often they'll say they're a bank or they're another agent, but it's like an EDU address. So an EDU address is education, it's some college, 
college student or a college campus, and they're sending it. So if the company that's listed doesn't match the name of the email, and not just because part of one of the challenges with this is when we get emails, you see a name, but you don't actually see the email address. You have to hover over it to see what the actual email address is. If that email address doesn't make sense with who's sending it, who they say they are, the chances are it's fake. Right? So I would I would not I would not click on something like that. I would pick up the phone and call whoever it is and say, I received this, is this a real email before you click on anything? Because once you clicked on it, those bad guys are in your system. We had this one of my attorneys apparently clicked on a smooth email. Um, and we found out because I was sending her emails and I was getting a bounce back. It wasn't from her address, it was from another address. The email was full at the bad guy's place. And so I was getting bounce backs because he's getting so many emails, right? So um, I found out, and 1,500 emails were sent, sent to this bad guy before we caught it. And I, if he hadn't been stupid enough not to clean out his email, it could have gone on for who knows how long. Think about when he's reading the emails of what's going on. He wasn't in our system, but he, he built the, the spoof email had allowed him the ability to build a rule into her email that said, for every email that was received, send a copy to this other email address, right? So that's what happens, right? That's how these guys get in, and that's what we have to deal with. And any of us can fall for it, right? We're all at risk of this kind of stuff. So one of the things I also recommend, change your email password at least once a month. So what you do is you go into whatever email system you are in, and you say, log out of all sessions. So it will log out every session that you have active on your email. Because how many of us have? I have a tablet, I have a desktop, I have a cell phone, right? Uh, all of those are logged into my email, right? And who knows how many bad guys, right? So, you know, you can close out all sessions. Everybody will be shut out. Then you reset your password. Then you can put your password into your device because the bad guy can't get back in. So even if you dig it in, you can get them out. Yeah. Right? This is probably a scam, right? It's probably a scam. 
So just think before you click on these things. And literally, pick up the phone and call. When you do, like, and go find them on Google, like the real person, and you'll see that their information doesn't match. They'll steal someone's identity and put their name, but when you get a hold of them, it wasn't them. Right? In, the, in regards to the cannabis, what type of transactions are we talking about? Like buying farms or dispensaries? Or it's all of the above. So there's, um, to be licensed as a cannabis company, there's actually five different types of cannabis licenses. So there's growing, there's uh, manufacturing, there's distribution, there's um, like a scientific one, and then there's like a catch-all that does all of them, right? So people are buying property to grow, they're buying buildings to manufacture, right? They're leasing in many cases uh, office space or, or commercial space, right? So it's all different areas of real estate that are being impacted by cannabis transactions. I had one, uh, they came to us, my, the person who came to me was a landlord and they said, we have this person who's offering us three times our normal rent to rent this retail space and they, they plan to go into cannabis. And I said, well, does your city allow cannabis? And, he, and she said, well, they told us they do. And so we did the research and the city was not, does not allow cannabis. So they were gonna throw out their tenant to get this tenant was gonna pay them three times their rent, and the guy would have been there a couple months before the police came and shut them down, and, and then the landlord's in trouble, not just the tenant, right? So um, there's just lots of scams in this, just like everything else. But even when they see that's legal, they'll pay way over market, right? Because they have all kinds of banking issues and challenges. So if you have a cannabis client, you can't put that money in your bank account, right? It's dirty money. So you got to take cash, and you can't put it in your account. So if you work for a cannabis dispensary, like an employee, you can't get a regular paycheck, right? Because they can't bank in a normal, functional way. So um, as part of the cannabis legalization in California, if you're a cannabis uh, company with more than 20 employees, you have to join a union, it's still California, um, and because the union gets the people that the building to bank. So it's for the employees so that they can bank. So they bank through the union bank, right? So, it's an issue, right? If, if, so if your bank is going to season that money, they're going to look for some sort of verification of sourcing, and it's cannabis, you're going to have a problem, right? So you got to go buy a property and let it sit there for a couple years and <laughs> sell it longer, right? I mean, that's some of the stuff we're doing, right? So it, I, I said, so she's going to rent to this camp, I'd like, you can't put that money in the bank. What do you do with it, right? How are you going to manage it? So, yes?
It's almost always either the consumer or the, the realtor where the bad guy gone in. So one of my things with my escrow clients is, again, only send any sort of confidential, non-public information via security email, right? And I know you guys hate all those security emails as realtors are paying them, you know what, to open on your phone, but that's why, right? I recommend minimizing communication via email just in general because what happens is all those emails that are going back and forth, the bad guys learning about all the people in the transaction. So the bad guys will know that the the buyer has a sick kid, right? And they'll say, oh yeah, well, you know, Johnny needs this money, so I need you to do this or that, right? And they'll manipulate and use that data to look like they're the right person. The more data that's out in the emails that they can monitor, the more that's on your social media, because they'll go find you and find out all kinds of stuff about you, right? Um, the more that they can, um, the more success they have at pretending to you and convincing people that they're that they are with you, right? So I, I'm a big believer in minimizing communication. I've had buyers money get lost before escrow even if they had a transaction. Because the realtor emailed the buyer, congratulations, your offer's been accepted, you know, Bob's escrow is gonna be Getting get to you to get you to get the wire information. The bad guy will send an email. Hi, this is Joanna at Bob's Escrow. Here's our wiring information. My escrow plan you to know we had an escrow yet, right? So the more that you guys are emailing this stuff, the, the more that that guy's going to find out. So, yeah, I was just going to ask if it, if it found out that it came from the realtor's email, are, have there been any lawsuits legally holding that realtor responsible? There's not been a ton of on this yet, right? So there's a lot of lawsuits, but we're not all the way through the process yet. So, um, but, and most real estate companies are going to have insurance and they're going to settle. That's a loan. That's just the reality. Most cases don't actually go to trial. Um, but the more that you're involved, the more risk you have, right? So I tell realtors don't get involved with the money. Just say, I don't handle anything relative to the wire, talk directly to the title and escrow company. The less you're involved, the less risk you have. Yes? So that's going to conclude today's podcast. For more details, please feel free to check our website with the notes and the handouts included. We'll see you real soon. So, hashtag create your own luck. That's about mantra to live by. Live inspired. Push hard daily. And we're going after our unfair share. That's right. If you hustle, you should get paid more.